Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome back, Wheatland community. This is Dan Spanger with Cross Reference um, and Pastor Luke LeDuc. Uh, who is uh, was in the pulpit this past Sunday after um, after a brief hiatus? Yes. After uh, Keith jumped in and uh, and filled there for a bit, and, and Luke, you're bringing us into Ephesians chapter two this time, walking us through the book. Yeah. Um, uh, the um, the you you brought us back in through a sea metaphor <laughs> through a you brought us back in on the sabbatical on the visitation, an epic tale. An epic tale, of the, the epic tale that never was. That's right. This is That's the right. minnow not going to wreck. This is. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a I number. Think, of... I think. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was almost like as I had this little foreboding feeling in the back, like when does the shark attack or when does yeah. the boat spring a leak or when does Rob accidentally fall overboard? Because, right. he was, you know, I don't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I had yeah. a lot of people say that that's where they thought this was going yeah no i it, that was kind of part of the setup yeah <laughs> yeah well it was good i and i you know i've i've spent a little time on the water not nearly as much time as you have and when you say a confused sea i kind of know what that feels like yeah and uh, a crystal sea i've, I've seen that a couple times um, yeah that is on, funny because yeah you did like didn't you do commercial salmon fishing in alaska yeah yeah yeah, that yeah, confused, which, I don't know if people know that, but that confused C is actually a technical term. It's, okay. it's, it's, uh, it's when it's just all jumbled up because of tides and winds and yeah, yeah. it's just pushing it, you in every, and every yeah. and nothing predictable, but sideways yeah. up and fairly violently. Exactly. Yeah. Those are, those are the times when you, you start to ask God whether or not men were meant to be in <laughs> the sea. Maybe this exactly. is divine judgment. It, the ancients view of the sea is bored into your soul in that's right moments. you get it in those days the flood makes total sense to you then. exactly but it's crystal clear days it really is something it's a different oh. a different experience and 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 i you know one thing that i got from your description of it it's even even just at the beginning when you first said it was a calm sea you thought the thing has so many personalities that it's almost like an entirely different mm. you know you, you live on land everything's the same all the time it's rainy or wet or dry yeah. or snowy, but to have the entire seascape go entirely sideways one moment and then or another day be totally it's just a totally yeah. world. Totally yeah that's world. really interesting yeah, yeah it is it's so true and i'm glad for my my friends ned and, and rob it's quite yeah. the fact that you sounded rather disappointed <laughs> well yeah not disappointed at all because uh actually i had planned 
we were just originally planned to do a little boat ride down there together. I mean, I wanted to take them out, but I was like, guys, you just never know with the stay weather. In the, stay in the bay. Yeah, but but we just kept going. And and you and I have been out there before where we've had to come back into the bay because yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget why. But um, yeah, the uh, our fellow traveler was. Oh, that the day, chop. That's right. The chop. Yeah, it was really choppy that day. Yeah. And um, and I remember. Uh, but yeah, we just kept going because it was so, so nice. Yeah. And I think really what I wanted to do with that um, lengthy story there at the <laughs> beginning was I, I was trying to sort of communicate the sense that I felt, um, as, and I, I said this, so it's not, I'm not saying anything new here uh, that I didn't say on Sunday, but just that sense that what Paul has just said he can't get away from in chapter one, all of the glory of the spiritual blessings in Christ. And, and then that prayer for them to, I, now I have to pray because I, I want you to be able to grasp all this. He's still actually talking about all that, but he's saying, I have to get at it from a different way. I have to get at it backwards. And uh, I just thought that was really helpful for me to see um, that us really, and, and I think this is sort of the broader picture, for us to really grasp what it is that we have received or are receiving in salvation in Jesus, we have to do so much, and I don't mean we have to work to receive it, but we, the rest of our lives is sort of a work of unpacking the richness, and, and we just can't receive it and sort of put it in our pocket and move on it, it, yeah, it, yeah. it it's it's given to us to unpack and to sit with and 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 come at from so many different angles so so yeah. is it could you be saying that um sometimes you read ephesians and it feels like a flat calm sea and sometimes you read and it feels like a thunderstorm yeah yeah it, i think it, that's different that's different parts that's, that that's a nice way to put it because depending on what you're feeling at the moment <laughs> is what right. you what you're experiencing maybe in your own life or in your own family are the things that jump out to you in a different way, in a new way. Yeah. 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 yeah that's helpful. I mean, I, that one thing I did get from, from the, I mean, I enjoyed the stories because it tied back into things that I was somewhat familiar with, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. was, was that, I, I go back to that picture of just the, it was amazing to me how the same thing called the sea could be two totally different mm. things on different days. And yeah. you're right. If you only experienced one, you wouldn't realize you, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, meeting someone, you know, real well. And all of a sudden, you know, one day they're just this entirely nice person. You want to know that. Yes. That's only one part. You got to see them yeah. on another day. <laughs> that's not the entire person. Or for you, Dan, it's like coming to meet with you in your office and, um, to talk about something from 19th century American religious history, and then, um, showing up at your house and you're waist deep in the hood of a car welding yeah. something. And you're like, wait a minute, what? I didn't know this was the same dude. Yeah. Yeah. Two different personalities, but I, but I like that in some sense because we can easily get lulled into believing these are just simple. And right. I think you made this statement when you were going through the first part of Ephesians that it's, you don't realize it, how deep and complicated this is. And Paul just seems to do it in one breath, but yet, yeah it take a lifetime to unpack and you still come back and go, man, I still, I still am having a tough time getting my mind around it. And I, we want it to be that deep and rich um, rather than right. just being glossed over. And I know you can't in a sermon series. Yeah. 
plumb the depths of what of what Paul is doing here. Um, but I think it's an encouragement to us to go back and say, do it again. Yeah, <laughs> hit, right. hit, it, hit it on a stormy day. Hit it on a calm day. Hit it on. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna see how the sea is the more you right. get to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's helpful. So, yeah, I'm not sure all the things you were doing with it, but I, I sort of appreciate. It. And the other, and the thing that I think you mentioned there, and you just said here, maybe you can just go back and unpack for us a minute. Mm-hmm. Was your sense of how or what you think Paul is doing by the time we get to Ephesians two? That, in the sense, you see through the end of chapter one a flow that's happening, and this is not the continuation, but you feel Paul is like stopping and mm-hmm. going back or or revisiting. Explain what you mean when when Paul is changing his flow here. Yeah, for me, as I was um, sort of trying to move us into chapter two as as a community who is sitting together to read and receive this, um, I feel like there's a sense in which we could have moved into chapter two and immediately um, sort of shifted gears from chapter one and all of the beauty of what it means that we've been adopted in Jesus. And now we're going to focus on who, you know, whether it's sin, dead and trespasses and sin. But to see that as actually another way to unpack the richness of union with Jesus and adoption in Jesus, um, to me is a pretty important thing because it means, and I think you've just already said this, is it means that we probably still haven't grasped. You, you can't grasp all of this by just having it stated yeah, to you yeah. by Paul, yeah, yeah. you know, summarizing it for you. You have to look um, more deeply into the experience that you are having as you are being brought from death to life. And as there's this definitive aspect of it, but then there's also this somehow progressive aspect Mm -hmm. of it that makes it really really mm, deep and layered and it just can't be oh this is what salvation is or Mm. that's what salvation is it's yes and and it feels like paul's always saying yes and and here's another layer and i I I just wanted us to feel that in a sense do you think is this is this a fair metaphor uh no metaphor is finally fair but it's a fair metaphor that um, you can you can study a car as an engineer. Here's what it all is, and then you can study it as a driver. It's the same vehicle, but mm. one is this big, broad. We're trying to understand yeah. how the physics work. Yeah, but that that doesn't change the fact that when you get in it, for all that, there's still a feeling about right. how the car feels when it drives. And yeah. is, is we, are we getting through Ephesians one, this sort of engineer's perspective, if you will, and then mm. Ephesians two? Mm. Now let's we're not moving on to something new. We're going to go back and retalk about it as if. We're actually in the vehicle now. Yeah, I like that. that I like that. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because one of the things that I was feeling in Ephesians 1 and following was this idea of adoption is is the paradigm that I, I felt like Paul is stuffing a lot of this under. That adoption is a very, it's a technical thing, and it certainly has very clear legal right, right. ideas in the mind of Paul. But there's no way that that isn't, from another angle, a very experiential and existential right. Right. thing. Yeah, and I think that follows here in in chapter two. Well, and that's that's a helpful framework for. And I, I said this back when I was doing my little class on it because that's what I was grappling with was why the why the soaring theology. This this you know this it's you almost can't handle it. I mean, it's right. hard to it's hard to follow. I mean, I've 
there are phrases in Ephesians one that I read like six times, just trying to figure out <laughs> what is he, what, what is he doing here? But then, then it gets to these points. You're right. Where it becomes very, very much how you in, interact with it, but it's not anything mm -hmm. different. And maybe that's the weird right. thing. It's, it's the right. same thing. Yeah. It's just now when you have to interact with it, it's going to feel different. It's not going to feel soaring. It's going to feel right. difficult. It's going to feel hard. It's going to feel mm. all these other things, but it doesn't yeah. change the fact that they're the same thing. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Like, and I, oh, go ahead. No, I, I just, no, it's like, it's like, it's like looking at a picture of a mountain and having to be on, on it. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. You're on, it's the same mountain, but you're nearly dying on the face of it or you're sitting back looking at a picture of it. It's, mm. it's the same mountain. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I, I think that is, Part of what makes um, this time in Ephesians so challenging, but also rewarding in a sense, um, to see that Paul is not, he's not arguing with himself. It, it's not like this is the Ephesians Paul, and then there's a different Paul when mm -hmm. you get to uh, one of his more practical application areas. No, this is all, all together. And um, you know, really, the sermon title was from death to life. And I make it sound matter of fact, like, oh, yeah, from death to life. But it's not right. that at all. Right, right. And the, and the word and use this, this doctrinal concept of total depravity to help us walk through that, which is um, a core, you, you mentioned it, you didn't say the word tulip, which I was kind of surprised. By. Right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, you could have done a you could have done a little tuliping there. Yeah, exactly. Daryl would have been happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Barry would have been happy. So yeah. people, other people would have been confused. Yeah. Um, While we're talking about flowers in the middle, of, but the but the total depravity piece in the Calvinistic tulip, total mm -hmm. depravity, unlimited, un unconditional election, and you know limited yeah, atonement. Limited but but it starts with that total depravity piece, which is a bit of a mm -hmm. technical theology. Although I think you were, you were yeah. you were doing something a little different. Not not I was yeah, man, but I was. But I, it might be worth you know, it might be worth sort of talking for a minute about the theological component yeah. of it, the, the theological side of it, and the place and, and the space that it occupies in sort of that theological framework of, yeah, yeah. of, of Calvinist thinking, because, I mean, we are, we are that, we are Calvinists in our right. soteriology, and, and I mean, it's interesting to me that this total depravity is obviously, I, I don't think I was doing anything different with it, but mm. it, what I was talking about with it as a framework to understand our experience of mm. salvation is exactly the place that that as a concept, it's, it's, it occupies that same space in a Calvinist understanding of salvation by grace in through faith in Jesus it's right there at the beginning in a sense. And, and yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't make that connection in the sermon, but it's certainly clear that before you get to unconditional election in the Calvinist framework or limited atonement or definite atonement or irresistible grace or, or the, the pers perseverance of the saints, that is really at the beginning. Right. And it seems to me that's, what Paul's done here as well. He's said this glorious salvation. And now as we get into experiencing it, here's where, here's where you have to start with the right. idea that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that, that, that colors the entire 
the entire way that you um, not only experience salvation, but that you have to sort of understand it and, and be related right. to it. And what, and I, yeah, and that's, it's a lot to unpack. And I, I mean, to have to do, mm-hmm. like, I think you even said at some point right towards the beginning, there's a whole series of sermons just trying to unpack the theology of like total depravity. Yeah. So can't, but yeah, maybe this is a little extra space. Um, yeah. And, and exactly. maybe, maybe for those that don't have a really firm mm-hmm. footing in reform theology um, to know what this means. Um, you know, one of the things I like that you did in, in trying to use it as a framework for how we how Christ brings us into this out of the old humanity into the new humanity, that we have to die to this because there's there's nothing it's it's totally depraved. The whole part of our life was touched mm-hmm. by death and sin. Is that this is not the statement of utter depravity, and this is not some statement about people that are not saved are really evil, awful, mm-hmm. terrible, depraved mm-hmm. human beings. But mm-hmm. and I think one of the one of the reasons why this gets misread by our modern culture is that it, morals are always considered relative to one another, like. Well, I'm not any better than he is, and there—I mean, mm-hmm. he's an atheist, but he's a really nice person. The reference right. point is not comparative between yeah. us; it's the it's the holiness of God. And it, mm-hmm. I think it's one of my colleagues just said the other day. He said that what's he feels as he's working with students, what's being lost is this primary doctrine, even even probably more basic than total depravity, that God, in His character, in His personality, in His um, in His essence, is so perfect and so holy. We've just we've forgotten that. And so we tend to use things like morality and niceness mm. as if, well, that's, that's good. And I, I'm not, he, he's kind of nice too, but we're not using God's mm. holy character as the reference point for these. In which case, when you did, you'd say all of our best efforts are still right. totally right. depraved. Right. Yeah. And, and I think um, Paul probably like Romans five is where Paul is writing about um death in Adam and life in Christ, that passage there um, in, in Romans 5, uh, 12 and following, I think, um, that, is, that is what's beginning to um, really inform all of my thing. I mean, that's the, what, is the, what theologians would call the locus classicus, of this idea of total depravity, not so much as you were saying that each individual human is as evil as they possibly could be, but the idea that um, sin comes into the world through one man and death through sin. And so sin spreads to all because all have sinned. And it's, it's, you know, that's no statement about how ultimately evil each human being is. But the fact of that, uh, what I was sort of highlighting was that everyone shares in that death because mm-hmm. of, of sin. And um, yeah, I think when you talk about, even in our passage, you had this idea of power and, and authority and, and, and the spirit of disobedience that's at work in the children, this power to have sway, Paul's sort of bringing that back from um he's playing with those same ideas here in romans 5 where he talks about death reigned from adam to moses even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of adam in other Mm -hmm. words okay so there's different ways of embodying that but what they all shared was that they were under the power of 
this spirit uh, of, mm. of evil and, and death that comes through the choice that Adam made to all his progeny. Mm. Right. So there's this, there's this concept in, in total depravity, which I think is what you're seeing, helping us see the one side of it, is that depravity puts us in a place of moral death that we're, we're, we're dead. And Paul's, you know, saying in, it's, it's funny that the Christian also has trespasses and sins, but the unsaved are dead in them. And, and those mm. who are in Christ are, are not. But the point being that there's a death part that comes with it. It's to be depraved means to be infected by the sin in such a way that it, it leaves us powerless and helpless really to do what's ultimately mm-hmm. right and good. And then I think, yeah, the theological concepts, what I'm, I'm just pecking at a little, not that we want to stay there, takes not where you were going, but is that this idea of depravity also has the reference point of not morals and not mm. everyone else's, yeah. but it is this right. ultimate right. character of God that, that is the yeah. reference point. Yeah, and, and I think that's the really important uh, yeah, I, I think what you and your professor friend are pointing out is so important for us to grasp as we as we sort of find ourselves in a space, and, and culture has always done this, but we, we also see it now where everyone is constructing a morality right. as right. if right. that as if that will take care right. of um what's actually wrong and there's nothing right, wrong with right. constructing morality like let, let's do it we're all for it unless the very constructing of that morality assumes that you will fix what's really broken yeah that's right and that is that we're under the power of the reign of this spirit of evil which comes to us through that choice that we made in Adam to live independent and out from under the mm. reign and love of God. And I think, you know, it's interesting to me that what evangelicals, uh, uh, I, I don't want to make them, I don't, I, we are them. I, I, favorite I am, I am that. Boy, so you yeah, can, I don't want to whip that. Uh, we're all doing me, that. Let, let me say this. For me, I think one of the place, places that Ephesians is going that we're, that's been hinted at all along and that we'll see really clearly in chapter six is an anatomy of evil that goes far beyond an yeah. anatomy of evil that most of us have. Because as you say, we've constructed evil and sin as moral, um, yeah, yeah. moral categories. But, but what we find already in chapter one, where, um, uh, let me look at it here. Um, oh, shoot, where was it there? Uh, did I, did I, did I, the powers? Uh, okay, so I'm not finding it right away. But here in chapter two, um, we've already got this idea of following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is a different sort of anatomy of evil and darkness that I don't think we've always been able to see. I I think uh, an ancient, uh, the Greek, the Greco-Roman world had, had a clearer vision of evil in that sort of way than we do. We've reduced it down quite a bit yeah, from, yeah. from the way they felt about evil. But they had this deep sense that there was a, 
a reign of, of darkness that was operating in a level above the human interaction yeah, level. Yeah. And that's a different thing. And, and I think there are some traditions of Christianity that have held on to that better. And some of them have even distorted that in weird ways. But hmm. we can't look away from the idea that Paul, that infuses Paul's writings. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and the, the dimensions of that, if, if we'd say where maybe our culture would really struggle with Paul saying here is that, that that's your start. That's all of our starting point. I think you're making this point. We all, we all start in this old humanity in this place of depravity. And Paul then calls children of wrath, which I think is even a, a further, it's not only that, you know, against your own will, there's nothing you're, you're, you weren't going to climb out. Like you said, we're not going to mm-hmm. climb out of this by simply just constructing some new moral codes. It, it's, it's, it can only be salvaged by a resurrection work that God has to do. Yeah. Um, but then also it, we find ourselves at that point under the just wrath of God. And that's a really uncomfortable concept to a lot of moderns who mm. don't like that. God must be very nice, which he is obviously, mm-hmm. but his grace is only so great because his wrath is so justified. And because yeah, his wrath yeah. against our sin is justified, then his grace to do these next things you're going to talk about here, being rich in mercy, yeah. all of a sudden really become very stark. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I think for a lot, a lot of our people, but I think there's a lot of people would say, well, the problem is really small. You know, you're not you're not nice. You're not mm-hmm. kind. Do some bad things. So God being merciful is kind of a nice give on his part. But, you know, he, he could he could he could uh, he could afford to be that nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you're all you know, you're not a great person. I get it. But Paul here is saying, you know, it's not only death, but you're under wrath. All this is by the holiness of God. This is so evil. Mm-hmm. That when he is going to give mercy, it's it's a mercy beyond imagination almost. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think those are those terms are are hard. Maybe generations ago, that was an easier thing to understand. I don't think a lot of people coming into the church feel that. We just don't preach that anymore. I don't think it's the way or yeah. sort of work through it that way. And I and I think part of that goes to uh, again. I don't want to beat this thing um, into the ground, but if we were by nature children of wrath that means that we were underneath of the authority as children of a greater spiritual wickedness i mean this is what paul will talk about in chapter six and this is what he'll say in colossians where he makes where on the cross he makes a show of these powers openly so there's a sense in which um what Paul is doing here as, as he's talking about, so like if you could fix our, our moral relations with one another, that still wouldn't, if you could raise those, it still wouldn't raise you above the powers of darkness and evil hmm. that Paul is saying the world is under the sway of in, these, in this moment. Hmm. And I, I think that's a very different way of thinking about um yeah evil and and salvation and rescue i mean Mm. the cross makes a show of those powers openly the cross and the resurrection right and and then ultimately in the day that christ returns to make all things new now what was done in that moment becomes effective for the cosmos. And I, yeah, I don't want to get too lost in all that, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, we, we don't understand the fact that we are children under that evil regime. 
in yeah. our death and in our sins and transgressions. Yeah, and if there's anything our culture has done, um, you know, was the was C.S. Lewis in um, oh, where the where the demons are. I can't think of the title of the book. Oh, but screw tape letters. Screw tape. Yeah, you know the point is not to believe in those things anymore. And I right. think that yeah. yeah, once evil becomes something that's once it just becomes a mere social condition or a social fact, and it's not really that bad, then you yeah. know salvation yeah. itself. Then there's no demon right. in the air. There's just look, right. we've got good right. science. We're making good decisions, and we make mistakes from right. time to time. If evil and you forget becomes, that, yeah, these are these are actually true powers. Yeah, if evil becomes something that we can sort of turn on and off and modulate, and and that right. gives us that is a false narrative. It's a false narrative. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And we're being deceived into thinking that we're we're either good that there is no sin, or being deceived into think that it's simply something that's manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I one of the things I that I'm just feeling this now because I'm, I'm I'm that's why I'm making the point is that I think probably what's in our theology that's so profound. Uh, but just not in our cultural parlance, especially in the church these days. It's just, and RC tried to do this sprawl in his own way, is that the, you have to always start with the holiness of God. And it's it's his absolute and utter perfection that, that mm. makes that whole schema look ridiculous. Mm. And that you have to see this as a dead set. This, this as you're saying, the power of the sky, the power of, the, of mm-hmm. Satan, and this, and this, um, and this, this darkness is really an evil. It's not just a misunderstanding. It's not a misconstrual. It's not an ignorance. It's an evil. Yeah. And then we are tied into that through disobedience and depravity into that right. kingdom right. And that we're being translated out, which is what I want to go to next, because I think the theology of it, which, you know, obviously you said you can't do everything here in a, in a short sermon. So thanks for the opportunity to think theologically, is then to say, so what you, it seemed like you were doing then is now that you've said some of that theology down, what you see in total depravity then is that this admission by us that the only reason we're in this community and in this kingdom and under the reign of Christ is because of something God did and God alone did. And that's, mm-hmm. it's not that we added up all our best characteristics and then simply just moved into this new community, but total privacy says, no, there's a whole stop and a whole start. One belongs mm-hmm. to one and mm-hmm. we belong to the other, mm-hmm. which as you said, I think is a framework that maybe you're helping us to, to lean into, to understand what total depravity is as far as our community is concerned. So maybe, maybe a little on that, um, this idea that um, depravity draws a line for us so yeah. that we're moving out of one community and into another one. Yeah. No, I think that is true. And I think, of course, the way that Paul gets at it here and as he does everywhere else is he spends the whole first chapter uh, with that whole in him, in Christ, in Jesus, um, adopted in Jesus, all of that language that we're in Christ, so that when you get to this, this portion of old human, or uh, yeah, that that was sort of the language I was using, that death in our trespasses and sins, but made alive, we're not made alive um, anywhere except in Christ, because it was in Christ that God raised, it is in Christ that God raised him from literal death into um, everlasting life. And so, yeah, there is that definitive aspect of being in Christ. One of those things, I'm thinking back to a quotation I had early on, and it's this famous quote from Calvin that says, all of the benefits of Christ mean nothing to humanity unless they are in Christ, unless humanity is in Christ. Mm. And so all of Mm. that that Christ uh, has 
has uh, done in his own life and suffering and death and resurrection means nothing unless one finds themselves united to Christ. And so that, that, that is one of those areas where, um, yeah, that's a difficult concept for us to Mm. find ourselves united to Christ, but that seems to be at the very essence of what this translation, this resurrection, this from death into life hinges upon the fact that we have been placed by the grace and mercy of God in union with Jesus so that we are wrapped up into everything that God has done for Jesus. He has done for us only as we are united to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet (laughs) there's still in us this old uh, Sinclair Ferguson used to talk, used to say it this way, which I thought was helpful. Um, and maybe this is what some of the stuff that you're getting at, Dan, is like, yeah, you've got this definitive in Christ. And yet Ferguson used to talk about we're united to Christ, but we are united to Christ in a body that still bears the marks of a past addiction to sin. Hmm. And that's where, that's where that tension that I think I was trying to set up some in, in the sermon on Sunday, where it talks, where I was mentioning, you know, we're new humanity, but is there a way in which sometimes our old humanity gets smuggled in? And that, that's a hard thing to talk about. I'm not even mm-hmm. sure that I gave us all the best language for thinking about that tension that exists. Well, you did give us a framework for it. And I think the way that the way that I had, I had written it, which um, may not be the exact words used, but is this idea that if we accept our total depravity as our starting point, then we accept the fact that this community we're in is, cannot be part of that life. And I think just Mm -hmm. there's a, uh, what, what in my head became a polarity that there are these two, Depravity states, I mean, again, the theology, but I mean, what it, what it means is that whatever I am in this new community has no part in the old one. Mm-hmm. The old one is one of death and lifelessness, mm-hmm. and this one is life. Yeah. So it's another way of saying, you can say, well, the old stuff is fine, isn't it? Um, it looks good. It was fine. I got along with it just fine. But, but if it's death, then, then mm. you have to start with this assumption that no, it's not. Right. And there's nothing worth getting there. Everything worth having is on this side, mm-hmm. not on that side. And I think as a framework, that's really helpful. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know that you can yeah. pack, unpack all the details right. that that infers, but right. And I think the details framework. the details are often found not in necessarily the abstract, but in the particular in situations where yeah. you yeah. find yourself, um, yeah, in in a situation whether it's. Uh, a, a personal temptation that you struggle with or a relationship that's particularly difficult or the way in which you find yourself drawn to sin against someone else or the way that someone sort of re- repetitively sins against you or something like that. That's where the, the details are the most helpful of determining what is old humanity, right. new humanity. But yeah, I do, I do think um, that definitive break is so important to grasp that they are two separate worlds one of death and one of life right which i which is really helpful because i that's the opposite uh, i say opposite but it just seems to be in tension with 
probably a lot of the, the teaching we're all absorbing passively or unintentionally mm. from our culture and probably where the, the, the evangelical church can, can use that phrase um, has maybe not given a lot of clarity to its people uh, because it doesn't want to be counterculture and don't want to fight it. We don't want to, we're not trying, we're not superior. We're not, we, so mm-hmm. we don't want to put our people in a position where they're like, oh, the world is all bad, but that's, it's not about that culture and this culture. It's about a life lived to, and this is maybe Augustine's language about the city of God becomes helpful here, but this is, this is a space where we're living towards the life that the spirit gives mm-hmm. and we don't want to live towards the spirit of death. It doesn't mean that people that live, you know, who are de- totally depraved did not have the gospel or not bad people. Necess- I mean, they are right. by God's righteous standards, but I mean, they're not like socially and morally evil. So right. it's really hard to convince yourself, I think, sometimes that really mm-hmm. when we come to church, we are trying to enter a new humanity, a new city, the city of God. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it needs to be informed entirely by God's grace and entirely mm-hmm. by his law and not at all by the lives of, of, of death and depravity that we've come out of. So exactly yeah. where the lines get drawn is how we all navigate it by the spirit. Right. But still, that, that's the reality. Right. And, and that's, that's sort of the hard work that we do together. And that's, yeah, that's not easy work. And yet it's work that has to be done at every, I, I was talking to um, Rob Bigley this morning at breakfast and um he was saying, um, I, I forget what we were talking about, but he was saying he heard a, a ballerina once say that what looks to you like this perfect poise and grace of me up on point is experienced by me as a series of like minute and always changing balances of of. of uh, calculation and movement. So, you know, you, you, you view it as you're, you're, what you're seeing is someone up on point, very graceful balance there. But what's actually happening is all of these muscular movements and they're minute, but, you know, and I think that's the sort of thing that you're saying here, or I'm just taking this and it doesn't apply at all because I just (laughs) heard the story this morning, but no, I do think there's a sense in which, um, what can easily be thought of, oh, I've been translated from death to life. Actually, that life is a whole series of these always moving calculations that we're not giving in to the forces of, mm. <laughs> of entropy and gravity or, or whatever, in a sense, that would bring us off of that, off of that place. I don't know. I think there's something there. Well, the, the way that, I mean, I, th- I think there is, especially what are the dimensions of coming out of death into life? Um, which, you know, is the, the idea of the cross is Christ's method for that. And it's mm-hmm. what he obviously calls all his believers to do to enter this new life means to die. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's obviously the theology is really beautiful that you were dead in your trespasses of sin in order to come into the church, you embrace your death and you die to yourself. Um, so death is the only way in really. And, right. and that means it's really hard and that means mm-hmm. it's painful. And that means, even as Paul, I think, is talking, you mentioned this offline about Romans 7, Paul is mm-hmm. grappling with, it's this way and that way, and I'm trying to do the right thing, and then I get it wrong, that, that the old man still harasses Paul, but he's trying to commit to putting the old man to death, which is a lifelong thing, and it's difficult, right. and it's like there's a lot of micro decisions, and, mm-hmm. and oh, I did it again, oh, crap, I can see it, in, but you have, right. to, you have to, I think, and this is what I pulled out of your sermon, you, if you're going to really grapple with sin that way, you have to start with the fact that it's not 
it's not good. It's not mm-hmm. healthy. It's death. I don't, I don't want it. You, mm-hmm. If you don't start from there, then death can tempt you into, oh, it's not so bad, or it's just the way I get it. This is how I deal with my problems, or this mm-hmm. is just, this mm-hmm. is how I deal with people. This is just me. Mm-hmm. But that, then we're not starting with the fact that actually just you mm-hmm. <laughs> prior to the power of resurrection was, was depraved. Therefore, it's not, eh, it's just me. You, you've got to start with this idea that in fact, left to ourselves, we are children of wrath. Yeah, um, and that's a hard thing because then you got to embrace your death as Christ seems to daily. There seems to right. be a, well, a daily dying to self that has to happen here, and it's just not easy. And you yeah. see old saints and say, "Well, it looks so easy." Now they're 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 yeah. up on point, struggling yeah. through that too. Right, we're all having to die to self. That's the whole point here. Yeah, and that is, I mean, if there is one thing that's sort of at the center of the New Testament, is glory comes always through death. There is no way into glory except through death. It's this, you know, death and resurrection. There's no, resurrection doesn't happen. Can't reverse that somehow? Yeah, there there is no such thing as resurrection if there first (laughs) isn't that painful death. And I think you're right. I mean, to wrestle with the painful death of all sorts of places in our lives is sometimes is a greater cost than we're willing to pay. Yeah. And this can, this to me, where you sort of brought it down, I know you had the three points, but it got sort of, sort of galvanized when you said, here are the two, almost the takeaways. You didn't say it that way, but mm-hmm. the two takeaways that yeah. you were once dead. And then by God alone, you've been now made alive like that. Like these are the two architectural pieces that if you have right. those two, then the life together um, and the way that we interact with one another and walk in newness of life, is feasible only if those two things are first true. Right. That to come yes. to come to this community and live means, first of all, I must say, I was dead mm-hmm. in and of myself, useless, yeah. helpless, out of hope. Yeah. But that by God alone, I am now alive. So I'm no longer dead, but it wasn't yeah. by me. And, and, and I, yeah. I think that's really, that's helpful because it puts in a nutshell very clearly right. what we've got to start with in order to build into our community together. Yeah. And um, I think, if we didn't talk about Genesis, I, I think there'd be a, 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 <laughs> the a hue and cry. Do you think? Yeah, exactly. But um, the idea that Paul that Paul says that we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus for good works, is there's no way not to think about the uniqueness by which God created Adam, where he forms him out of the dust everything else was spoken but in adam he is formed out of the dust of the ground and now here paul is saying we are his workmanship this new creation where through death bringing us from death to life is another uh work and reforming of god and that's a definitive break with what Mm. was before Mm. um so yeah i think um I think wrestling with that idea of what God has done in raising Jesus from the dead and uniting us to Jesus, Paul is taking this opportunity to go back and underline that in these yeah. in this passage and say, yeah. well, as I put it, you all just don't understand sometimes how, yeah. how definitive this um death from death to life is for 
the new humanity. And it's and definitive theologically, and then you use this this idea of animating that it it's not only definitive theological truth, but then it must become the animating feature of our right. relationships. That if you say yeah. what what allows me to get up in the morning and do the kind of things, there's lots of things that can animate me: pride, selfishness, um, just trying to get mm -hmm. ahead, trying to get along. Yeah. But if we say what must animate me is the fact that of myself there is no life, but in Christ alone there is mm -hmm. all my life, then then do I my relationship with one another then is not has to be intentionally animated by that truth right and by that reality yeah there there are so many implications from that that flow out of those two things i was dead but i've been made alive in christ there are so many implications that flow out of that that probably our whole life together is unpacking that in all of the richness and 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 using that as i put it as a um sort of a, as a grid, as, as, as a, uh, a way in which we evaluate our, our life together and our, our relationship with God in Jesus and our relationship with one another. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Which I think goes back to what you were sort of driving at with this change in Ephesians chapter two, that, that Paul wants to bring all this high theology so that there is actually change in the way we relate to one another yeah. so that we see why we love one another, um, which uh, there's a, a lot of grace and mercy, I think, well, mercy from Paul, but grace from Paul yeah. anyway, to not just say, and I told you, right? <laughs> I yeah. told you to get along and I told you to stop fighting and I'm sick of the way you guys are going. Yeah. Let's, let's, before you get caught up in the do's and don'ts, let's talk about what all of this is really doing. Mm -hmm. Let's, 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 let's sit with this beautiful story of God's redemption, his power, yeah. your death and his resurrection alone. Now you get to the point of saying, you see what your community together now means which I think is, a, is, is gracious that he's given us that approach yeah. to it. Because it could just become a form of do's and don'ts. And you don't mm -hmm. say this bad and don't be mean. Don't be. Yeah. That's just never, never enough, really. Yeah. And I think that's where total depravity gets a really bad rap as a, as a doctrinal um, mm. peer and category. It, it saves the community. It rescues the community from yeah. so much wrongheaded thinking about what it means to be united to Jesus and united to each other because we're united to Jesus, that if you don't have it there, yes, it can be used in, as I said, ham-fisted ways, but but it doesn't have to be, and it's not meant to be. Yeah. It It yeah. is a beautiful, actually life-giving thing in our midst when we when it's when it creates a paradigm for us of what we've received in Jesus and how we live that out with right. with one another and our world well, that's good i i I'm, I'm glad you you tackled it head on i think for our, for our people some of these doctrines sound a little musty smell a little right. like an old yeah. college classroom back from the 60s yeah. or 70s or something yeah um, but really it is it is you know always is and always will be a vibrant doctrine of god's grace and love towards us and yeah it's helpful that wheatland's willing to engage it that way yeah. if not we sort of don't don't give our people the kind of tools they need to to approach their lives because there are these beautiful right. gems and tools that's been handed to us down through the history of the church yeah. and from the writers of scripture that we just we sometimes just forget we have in our hip pocket yeah yeah to yeah. our shame and to our, yeah, to to our, our detriment and uh, um i i think in many ways that's where we find ourselves going in it as we move into in a little bit deeper into chapter two this week is um he says all of that 
and then we get into so therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, and it just goes through about this un- unity that mm-hmm. we have in Christ that is based on yes what God has done in Jesus, but also based on the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he, you know that's hinted at in our in a passage from last week where he says you were by nature blah 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 children of wrath, and then he says, like the rest of mankind, but the, he's, he's already doing this Jew and Gentile thing yeah. in, in 1 through 10, and now it becomes really clear in 11 right. and following that this is everybody. This ain't just the Gentiles, which perhaps would have been something that maybe some might have thought in that, in that setting there in Ephesus, but he's, yeah, our unity is here. Yeah, and it's a radical, it's a radical unity um that, that Paul's driving us into, which you can only arrive at two chapter two verse eleven if you get all the way through chapters one and the first ten mm-hmm. verses of two. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you don't have that, then the next unity pieces are really yeah, you can't don't make much st- sense. Yeah. You can't start there or it's nonsensical, you know. Yeah, it's nonsensical, right? There's there's no ways, motivation yeah. or reason, yeah, for it. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Thanks, Luke. Anything else you want to tell us as we're headed into? I mean, you gave us a pretty good backdrop where yeah, you're headed just, into I, I think he will he'll continue without focusing so much on, well, he will, I mean, sins and trespasses. And now this week we'll talk about the particular alienation of those who were without the covenants and, and the the Mm -hmm. particular grace that God had in Israel's life in the old Testament, but how now he'll bring everyone into that relationship through the cross and, and putting to death the hostility, um, and making us one body in Jesus. So yeah, just more of that, but in, in a sort of a different light and in a different, different sense. Well, it's good. And it, uh, it does show you that uh, Ephesians is a, is a gift that just keeps on giving. It's, uh, it's lovely that it's this broad text that was written to so many churches yeah. is so broadly applicable uh, right. to so yeah. many situations yeah. and circumstances. No, yeah. that's a really good point that, yeah, a lot of scholars think that it wasn't just written to the church at Ephesus, but that it was probably written to the churches surrounding. It came to Ephesus, but was written for many of those churches in that area. Gentile. Well, I look forward to seeing God's work um, through this text yeah. in our yeah. lives. Thanks as for you the conversation. Do it. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.